Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. Hope everyone is preparing for Henri and putting uh, furniture inside and all that stuff. I guess I should do that this afternoon as well. Um, I am joined this morning by uh I guess a fairly frequent co-host. You've been on the show a couple of times, uh, several times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe four, or four five. or five. Yeah. Uh, this is Peter Mullen with American Consumer Credit Counseling. Peter is a the community education coordinator and a certified credit counselor. Um, and basically, Peter knows, um, I guess, similar to me, I guess, sort of like all things finance, and and happy to talk about and educate people on all things finance. So. We work well together on the show, I feel. And um, so we're going to talk about sort of a, a variety of things this morning. We're, um, our title of our show today is Managing Your Finances Through Life's Situations. And we have identified several situations that we're um, going to chat about. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me again. It's nice to be back in Marshfield, my old hometown. Uh, I was here for about 35 years and left about five years ago. But okay. It never leaves my mind of or course, heart. Of course not. It's a wonderful <laughs> place to, to grow up and, and raise a family, I think. So anyway, 
Um, 781-837-4900. If you have any questions for us this morning, um, we're going to talk about sort of a variety of things. And I do want to loop in some um, conversations about credit and credit scores. That's something that I I really appreciate your perspective on, Peter. It's, I don't Mm -hmm. consider that an area of my expertise. I know some general things, but I I appreciate your expertise in that regard. So we'll loop that in this morning. So please give us a call if anyone has any questions about what we're chatting about or, or just anything of a financial nature this morning. This is kind of what was the word you used? A smorgasbord of, it, it, of financial yes, topics? absolutely. <laughs> We're going to throw out a lot of financial yeah. appetizers. There and hopefully go. that some people will nibble on a few. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'd be glad to yeah. uh, try to take you wherever you go. Oh, yeah. perfect. Um, okay, so where we wanted to start this morning, and this was sort of, um, Peter, again, thank you for doing all of this work, putting together some ideas and helping me mm-hmm. put together an outline. I so appreciate that. Um, but the, the first thing we're going to get into is, um, you know, I'm, I'm always pulling ideas for the show based on reality and, and situations that I um, come across with clients and prospective clients. And just recently, somebody reached out, a younger potential client, and um, and they were about to get married and they each had a home and one how maybe they were selling one and maybe renting the other and maybe buying, you know, buying another one. And just so I, I just sort of had this idea of, you know, let's start with. Um, you know, one of life situations, which is coupling or getting married, combining households and, and sort of managing finances through that. And we could, you know, probably talk about this for an entire show, but just sure. sort of touch on, on some highlights there. Um, so I guess I would start with just from a real estate perspective, because that's one of the, the when a couple gets married or combines their household and they're um, they have multiple pieces of real estate and then they go down to one. That's a pretty big financial decision because, mm-hmm. you know, if there's equity in properties and do they put it all down on the mortgage or do they rent one or do they invest proceeds or what do they do with, with you know, sort of large sums of money that um, could come their way as a result of combining a household? Well, it's it's a good question. It's good to start on on a positive note, meaning that somebody that has or a couple that has the the good dilemma of yeah. what to do with money. Yeah. That's always a positive way to start. And I guess what I would what I would start out by saying is one of the big challenges for that or anything is this. It's not even the the, the, the sources of the money or the, the various ways you can get it and all the options you have about selling or renting and all that. I think the greatest the greatest challenge I see in my my uh, and I and I do both uh, financial literacy education as well as counseling yeah. is the couples in what they allow the other to see. It's an amazing uh, yeah. reality yeah. of life. You're talking about reality yeah. that many couples and whether they're married or not is not the issue. They're couples who live together yeah. and whether they truly honestly share all of their financial uh, pluses and minuses and okay. let me just put it that way so here's what I would suggest if a couple truly wants to be in sync with each other and make a budget that reflects something that the full household that mm-hmm. both of them are doing yeah therein lies the the trick or the decision they have to make yeah and so what that means to me is when folks come to me for counseling uh, sometimes I, I find out that you know when I ask them simple questions like hello okay uh, so how many credit cards do you have well one part of the couple may say we have three credit cards and the other one sheepishly says oh. that raises their hands oh well we really have five because <laughs> I have these two 
And then I oh, asked no. a question like, well, how much, so I can help know a baseline of how you want to save. Yeah. What do you have for savings? And then one of them again says, well, we have 5000 in our savings account. And then the other one sheepishly says, well, there's this other account I didn't tell you about. Uh-oh. I only bring those stories up to say that if, if a couple, no matter what their source of income is, mm-hmm. truly wants to make a budget that helps them to manage their household budget, mm-hmm. they've got to be open and honest with, with each other yeah. to be able to make course, true, yeah. true headway yeah. on what we as a household you know, need to do with our income and our expenses. Yeah. Well, hopefully if you're in a relationship with someone, you're in a trusting relationship and <laughs> yeah. you're sharing information and things about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't even, my mind wouldn't even go in that mm-hmm. direction. I, I, I wouldn't even have thought that, but hopefully, yeah. And from my perspective, when I meet couples that, you know, maybe even if it's their, you know, it could be first marriage, could be second marriage, mm-hmm. it could be they're a couple, but um, they're not married. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me whether like bank accounts are combined or not, or whether you know mm-hmm. investment accounts are jointly titled or not. You know, actually combining the finances, from my perspective, doesn't matter. I think mm-hmm. that's totally a personal preference. But mm-hmm. yeah, obviously, sharing the information right. about you know what's in uh, different places and certainly what what do we have in the way of debt? You know, yes. credit if mm-hmm. there's any debt, credit cards, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I thought that was obvious, but but uh, thank you for bringing that. Up, my mind wouldn't even have gone there. Well, if I can, and I don't remember the exact percentage, but it's something in the 30% range that yeah. you would be surprised at how many couples do not share either with each other. Oh, wow. It's okay. high. It's very yeah. high. Yeah. As well as, and this is just another side note, with their children. So children okay. often grow up having no clue at all about what their parents make or sure. what their financial situations are, sure. or even the whole idea of, hey, these things that you want, child, yeah. cost money, right. and we only have a limited amount. So right. there is a point of where education could kick in here. Yes. It's a, it's what do they call like a teachable moment? Yeah. But what most often, it is, <laughs> and it's a funny comment I would just make. I don't know what it is about our our culture. I think we're much more willing to talk about sex and what and so on <laughs> yeah, yeah, than yeah. we are about our own finances, our debt, yeah. our income. Yeah. Because those things are critical yeah. and um, and yet we don't openly share them. Well, people worry about being judged, I think, a lot when it comes to finances and level of income and level of assets. I think there's there's too many social pressures surrounding that, which mm-hmm. is, I think, unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I love teachable moments, especially in the world of finance. I'm always trying to find teachable mm-hmm. moments with my kids, and it's really funny you brought that up because mm-hmm. I was reading a parenting book recently as one of my one of my kids is, you know, getting into the middle school age and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm going to need some assistance here. And the, and the book said something to, to it was sort of alluding to don't, don't find too many teachable moments because they'll start tuning it out. They're oh, like, okay. the teachable moments have to be few and far between. Um, so I've, right. I've been trying to not be like, you know, always find that teachable mm-hmm. moment because you can always find that teachable moment. You, you can as a parent and, as, and, and from a financial perspective. But, but I do um, totally agree you can overdo it too. Yeah, so absolutely. find that balance. Your kids are like, ah, oh, stop, mom or dad, <laughs> stop, stop. Um, so yeah, per- personal preference. Reg- you know, when it comes to combining households, of course, personal. But and some people ask me that. You know, is it okay? That in there, or there are sometimes they, you know, tell me would they have separate bank accounts and yeah. separate credit cards, and they're kind of embarrassed about it. And I'm like, you know, it's fine. It that's no. just totally a personal preference as long as you're sharing. But you did bring up a good point regarding. Um, when uh, when a household combines, and mm-hmm. you mentioned the word, you know, putting together your household budget. So I think that's yeah. really important in terms of, I hate that word budget. 
I use expense itemization or goal setting or, you, you know, it's, it's sort of all alluding to the same thing, which is just paying attention to your finances together as a couple. Um, and goal setting, you know, could be, you know, retirement goal setting or college for the kids if, if you have kids or will have kids. Um, you know, maybe it's another piece of real estate or and then that and then you sort of back into okay, well, you know, what do we have for financial resources in order to reach those goals and where are we going to put different sums of money in order to reach the goals? So I love that you said that, that, you know, coming together as a couple, bringing two households together, whether it's married or not, is just a good opportunity to reevaluate financial goals and start paying attention to what goes in and out and are you cash flow positive or negative, meaning are you spending less than you earn or more, hopefully not more, or about the same and all that. So I love that you brought that up. It's a great first exercise for um, couples that just come together. So so I would totally add on to that and totally agree with you, um, Alyssa, that from my experience as well as a educator and working with many folks, people largely hate the word budget. Yeah. And I purposely try not to use the budget. And yeah. my, my euphemism for it is money management. Oh, I love it. So what, what yeah. I say to folks is, look, this isn't about trying to restrict you or trying to put you in a pigeonhole. Right, right. Because uh, I'm a firm believer, and I really absolutely believe this from my experience, the only way you can begin to build do anything, go out and buy a car, go out and buy a house, be able to plan to buy something, be able to build your wealth, mm -hmm. is you have to have identified what your money situation is honestly and fully. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. To, yeah. you may call it a budget, but I call it money management. Yeah. So when a couple fully discloses what they make, and fully discloses what they spend, yeah. and those are that's a tough we one. hope, yeah. right? Yep. And everyone's honest. Yeah. Then what you know is what I call the gap. You know the difference between what you make and yep. what you spend. Yeah. Now that money, in my mind, as a financial uh, counselor or whatever, is the money that we can now work with. Right. But you have to have done those first two things first. Right. Fully disclose the income and the expense. Now we know what we can work with. Yeah. It's all on the table. Now we're able to make the decisions about how we make the goals, how fast we make the goals, yeah. how much we can put away each month, a thousand a month. That's doable because we know that's here to do. Yeah. The next question about where it goes, well, that's what the couple figures out. Are we going to invest toward real estate? Are we going to put the money in a savings account, an emergency fund? Yeah. But the honesty on the table is is step one. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about like when a couple comes together and one of them has a great credit score and one of them does not. Do you uh -huh. see this often or, and, and then how do they come together as one? Does it make sense to keep the finances separate? Does one of them, you know, purchase the home or the car mm -hmm. and because the other one's not going to help if their, if their credit's too low. And then we work on building credit for that one. T talk to me a little bit about that and what you see well, and what you advise. Yeah, that's an, that's actually an interesting question. And I guess I can point out one key example for that. Um, if the couple's looking to buy a house, mm -hmm. the way that the, um, I mean, most people are able to afford a house now because they combine, go back to the combining of the incomes. Yeah. And most houses in Massachusetts, you can't buy unless you yeah, do, right? Yeah, yeah. But here's the catch. When you are being analyzed by the mortgage uh, banker, just looking to see if they want to give you a loan or not, and you guys have said you want to combine, yeah. they will take the lower of the two credit scores. Oh, interesting. So okay, therefore, yeah. if, mm -hmm. and my standard joke, my standard joke in class, when I, if I ever bring this up, is if you're with somebody who has a low credit score and you're looking to buy a house, I say, you either, I'd say you dump them. If, oh. they have, 
if they have a low, low credit score, hey, get, this is the time to get rid of them. But, but actually, seriously, what you, you have two choices. You either allow the couple to combine their income, and then you go with a lower credit score, which you may make up in other ways, by the way. We can talk about that. Okay. Or see if the one person with a higher score can is qualify. able to qualify and do it all on their own. Yeah. And there's nothing to stop by the way, the other who's not on the mortgage statement yeah. to contribute monies on the side right. to the one who's on the mortgage. Right, of course. So in that sense, you can kind of circumvent that. Yeah, but but don't, but you'd have to, that one person would have to be able to qualify for the loan they on, would, on his on or their own, exactly. It, correct. Yeah. Um, all right, what about, um, let's talk, I just want to address the issue of, so, so, there's the good problem that a, a couple could have when they come together as one household. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of real estate market related, which right now, of course, the real estate market is incredible, an incredible time to sell, a terrible time to buy. Right. Um, so how about the good the good problem that they would have? Like, let's say, bo- let's say this is maybe an older couple coming together and combining households. Uh, they each own a home and they're going to... Uh, what do they do with their home? They want to buy a property together, right? They don't want to move into one of their homes. They want to buy a property together. Um, there's equity in each of the properties. Um, and I just wanted to talk through, you know, op- options, right? So it, these are great problems to have. And mm-hmm. they might say, well, you know, should we rent one or both? Do we, um, what do we do if we have equity in one and it's more than we need for the down payment on the, the, the property we're going to buy? together, you know, good problems to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it, you know, all depends on the situation, but, mm-hmm. and, and the age of the couple, right? Like if this couple was, you know, 55 and they have equity in one property, I might be leaning toward, you know, put as much of it down as you can on mm-hmm. the property you're going to purchase together to keep that mortgage low so that we can mm-hmm. eyeball having that hopefully paid off or paid way down by retirement. But if they're 35, um, and interest rates are very low on mortgages, and if they have good credit, then you know, then maybe it's a different answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll ask you for your opinion in a moment. And then when it comes to you know renting one property versus selling, I mean, for me, that's also a personal preference. You know, having a piece of real estate that generates rental income, mm-hmm. um, that would just come down to for me, it would be a calculation, right? What what is your rental income from the property going to be? What are the expenses for you to keep up? the property and then and then we can calculate a rate of return, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it comes and, and we can compare that with a uh, potential rate of return if you were to invest the money or we could compare that to, uh, you know, p- carrying debt, you know, putting it down on the property versus carrying debt. So we could do number crunching in that regard. But I also think it's personal preference. How close are you going to be to that property? Do you want to be a landlord? Are you going to be maintaining the property? If something breaks, are you going to be fixing it or are you going to have a property manager that's an additional expense that eats away rate of return etc cetera, etc cetera. so and for me that comes also comes down to um, geographical location are you mm-hmm. going to be in the same town or the next town or are you going to be an hour away where mm-hmm. we're keeping up that property and, and doing landlord stuff becomes mm-hmm. more difficult so um, you know those are just ideas that I would toss around for people to think of if if they're in that situation I think it's mm-hmm. age dependent too right in terms of mm-hmm. what, what do you um, uh, inter- and I guess by age dependent, dependent, I meant if you're on the older side, trying to keep debt as low as possible as you eyeball retirement. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Well, 
Many and varied. I saw you taking vigorous notes you, as I was well, talking about this. You, you've yeah. only thrown up about 23 things for me to think about, so let me let me address a few of them. Let me just yeah, say um, I, a, a couple things first yeah. come to mind. The, the, the first thing is overall, um, you know, every the good news about finance, and this is why I like what I do in terms of, like, providing free financial counseling and so on, mm-hmm. is the clients always have choices. Yep. And to me, yep. that's the positive side about wherever you come from, good or bad. Yep that I always believe that there's always choices of where we can go from here. Okay, so now in this particular example you've given me, there's lots of positive choices in front of them. Yes. But once again... We wanted to start the show on a happy well, note, right? Before good. we yeah. get to, like, debt and divorce and these a- things. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going we're gonna <laughs> di- to get deeper as we go. Yeah. So let's start on the high bubble note. And yep. that is... Yeah, so here's one of the, some of the things I would think about. Yes, they have lots of choices. I think they do definitely need to think of some of the factors you said. Yeah. How old are they right now? Because there's tax implications about uh, certain things, yep, right? Yeah, yeah. And what their tax levels are at that time, what their income uh, rates are or not. Mm-hmm. If they're truly beyond, like uh, age 70, as an example, then there's certain uh, certain tax maybe uh, reductions they can have. Um, the whole bit of capital gains potentially on mm-hmm. some of their investments. Yep. Yep. So I guess it goes back to, I hate to say it, but a lot of what you've just asked goes back to it depends yeah. Yeah. on the particular situation, yeah. they have to also consider things like inflation, um, the interest rates at the current time, uh, what the market value is of the houses yeah. they're talking about. Yeah. So part of what their calculus might be is if they're doing one of the choices you said, uh, they have house A and B and they want to sell them and get house C. You know, part of what they may say is, you know, this one A is a is kind of a dog. It's dragging us down. It's we need to kind of unload it. It's yeah. going to help us. B we kind of like, but you know, maybe as a couple, it's a positive thing to get something together. So there's yeah. even non-financial factors here. Yeah. Something about, and if you're a new couple, maybe there's something exciting about getting rid of the past of A and B and getting the new house yeah. C that we combine. So there's. I'm always a believer there's more to finances than just numbers. Yeah. There is a psychology to it as well. And so through counseling and discussion, we would certainly do a list of pros and cons. Here's why we should do this or this or whatever. Yeah. But then in the end, the couple has to kind of make almost an emotional decision yeah. too. Yeah. Because um, I, I can just tell one thing from experience is that you know, way, way back, not to bring a negative, but my parents got divorced a long time ago when I was a young kid. And the question of where do I live? Do I live in my original family house mm. with all the associations or or not? Does it make sense to kind of sell it and move on to something new? So mm-hmm. there's lots of baggage or other things yeah. that a couple has to consider. Finances are always emotional. Yes. Uh, and and yes. in some ways it would be great if they weren't, but they are, and they that's are. and that's just the world that we live in. All right, we just have another minute or so, so we'll okay. wrap this uh, section up, or, okay. or we can come back well, to it. Well, let me, let me f- then mm-hmm. another comment on what you said. Sure. You mentioned another option is renting, and you started to go down that pathway, but what, again, it goes back to, you know, all the headaches that are associated with yeah. renting. It's yeah. not just a... Uh, it's not just a perfect world where, right, you rent where the money just and comes in, money and, that's comes all in it is. and you have yeah. the greatest of, all of people <laughs> yeah. who are in your house. Yeah. No, there's, there's challenges. Yeah, I hear you. We can come back to this after the break. I'm talking to Peter Mullen, American Consumer Credit Counseling. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from the scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by Peter Mullen, a frequent guest of mine. He's with a nonprofit uh, organization, the American, I'm sorry, American Consumer Credit Counseling. They are the credit counseling professionals. Um, Peter does education uh, outreach in the community and and uh, he's a certified credit counselor. So I always appreciate having him on the show. Plus I, I never stress out about like an outline when you're on the show with me because I know we could talk for about six hours straight about anything related to finance. So No question. So And you're always very prepared. You should see Peter right now with all his uh, booklets and pamphlets in front of him and his information, and he's he's all prepared. So I do appreciate that. Um, so uh, we are live in studio this morning. 781-837-4900 is the call-in um, sh- uh, phone number. Tim is manning the phones and happy to entertain questions of uh, any nature related to finance or credit, etc. cetera. Uh, meanwhile, we will talk, uh, continue our discussions on managing your finances through life's situations. Um, we did want to start on a positive note and talk about uh, combining households and uh, marriage or, or, or you know, uh, coupling and, and living together. And, you know, I wanted to touch on some of these good problems that, that people can have regarding hey, I have all this money or equity in my home and what do I do with it? And, you know, and and sometimes when people combine households, that means things get a little easier financially and cash flow might be better. And in terms of, you know, more disposable income and more, I forget the term you used, but more um, income per month that we can do something with, right? Save for a goal or... Right, I talked about the gap. The the gap, The gap gap in my mind being um, the, the difference you have between what you have to pay out each month uh, on your expenses f- from the income that you have coming yeah. in each month. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, all right, so just to sort of wrap that up, um, you know, we were talking about, again, if, if if they're going from two literally houses to one, if there's equity, you know, lots of choices there. Um, and right before the break, you touched on that uh, having a piece of real estate as a rental property, an income property, or an investment property, we mm-hmm. could call it, um, I've never been a landlord. I don't have an investment mm-hmm. property. I don't really have any desire to. I know people can make great money with it, but mm-hmm. you were kind of like, well, it's not all, um, it's it's not necessarily all as th- that rosy given that, y- you know, you mm-hmm. have to actually be a landlord and there's, and there's work associated with it. And I just wanted to bring up like, I feel like in the past, what, decade or so since we've had, um, you know, Airbnb and VRBO and, and those, you know, um, uh, uh, places for people to sort of easily rent their property. I feel like it has been pretty easy for people to make money on investment properties, but I'm starting to hear like, you know, this uh, city and that city are, you know, banning short-term rentals and and taxing um, uh, uh, short-term rentals in a different manner. And it just seems like it's that, that might start to get a little bit harder. And I don't know if you know much about that, but and I don't know all the details about the taxation of that and and um, and and all the bans that are sort of happening, but I'm starting to hear buzz about that. And so I just sort of caution people that 
it might not be as easy as it sounds and certainly some people can do well and 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 i think that investment properties work well when you're really handy and you can do all the work and you're inclined to do a lot of that work and upkeep yourself mm -hmm. um and but having a property manager etc and, mm -hmm. and, and a rental agent etc i can it, it just eats away at return and so mm -hmm. i would just say you know, just just um, it comes down to me for numbers, right? What's the what's the rate of return, and that's something that we can calculate when we have all the numbers. Mm -hmm. But I, I appreciate you bringing that up. That it's potentially not that easy um, to have that just generate a bunch of money and and um, without any work or expenses associated mm -hmm. with that as well. Yeah, if I could just <laughs> add on to that, I, yeah. I, I guess the way I look at it is pretty much the way I look at anything that we're talking about today, and that is this. For all the choices you have in front of you, and I would do this with any couple, whether it's a, they have extra money or they don't, yeah. it's I'm always trying to examine what, what their choices are and what the pros and cons of it are. Yeah. Because the reality is I don't know pretty much of anything that is risk-free, mm -hmm. anything that is work-free, anything that is worry-free. Yeah. There's always some levels of that, and all, all I would say to anybody is, Go just go to anything with your eyes fully open. Yeah. So if you do go down the rental path, which is which is fine. I just say to anybody who asks that, um, to fully be aware of what you are getting into. Being a landlord has legal responsibilities to mm -hmm. it. You may get a good tenant. You may not get yeah. a good tenant. Yeah. There yeah. is the whole situations recently from COVID, as we've learned, um, a lot of folks, um, a lot of landlords have not been paid lately. Yeah. And there's a lot of challenges there with that. So even apart from COVID, the reality is, as you alluded to, is there's more to being a landlord than just getting money flowing into your account every month, <laughs> yeah. right? You got to deal yeah. with the fact that the toilet leaks or the, uh, the the windows are broken or yeah. there's water coming in or there's, you <laughs> I know, can't even deal with that in my primary residence. I, I know. Alone, like going to, going but to another so, property. So you, you own the whole kit and caboodle, yeah. as they say, and you get the good and the bad. And yeah. I'm not trying to be negative. I, I'm always trying to look for reality. Back. Yeah. We, that's kind of the theme of somewhat of our show is the, yeah. is, is the reality of life. Life gets in the way of life sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have the greatest plans of mice and men in front of you. I'm going to I'm gonna get this uh, great rental property. I'm going to 2000 a month, and great. I'm going to be set. I'll make 12000 a year. Bingo. Great. Everything's yeah. great. But then other things do come in like, and ruin that plan. I know. Taxes. Like property and, taxes. And, and, and other upkeep, types of things you yeah. face. Upkeep, yeah. maintenance, um, paying a property manager, as yeah. an example, which is a smart thing if you want to pass all that maintenance on to someone else. But it comes with a price so right. you you make right. that call yeah you know? yeah all right let's talk about managing finances through large purchases okay. we want to talk about home buying car buying car buying versus leasing which i think is an interesting discussion it is um and you you mentioned that you did a webinar or something and you had a lot of interest in that topic is that mm -hmm. what you said right actually um, i'm going to do it next week oh, as a okay. matter of fact and oh, yes give it, it has a plug. been it I, I will give a plug uh it's happening uh, next wednesday by the way um, and people can always contact me. I, I don't mind giving out my email as an as a, if someone's interested. It's I'm P Mullen. That's M U L L E N at consumercredit.com. So part of my whole role is to be a free financial counselor, free mm -hmm. financial literacy, and one of the many things that I do each month, which I'm happy to do, it's great, it's, uh, is to do f two free webinars a, m a month, mm -hmm. which reaches a national audience. And through that, we've 
and because of COVID, it doesn't really matter where our customers are anymore. So I can right. do counseling to people in Miami, counseling to people in Atlanta. I can do free webinars to people in San Francisco. It really doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So with all that, next Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we will be doing one on this whole discussion of car leasing versus buying. Okay. And yes, it has opened up a whole my eyes to an awful lot of things yeah. that I hope that customers also fully look into. Talk about being prepared you gotta go into car leasing all i can say is fully 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 haven't investigated a lot okay so that's interesting let's we don't want to give away too much on on uh from your webinar we don't want to take too much away from your webinar this week um but i just wanted to so my general thinking Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because i have a client who's in the in the auto industry and we were talking about this a couple weeks ago and Mm -hmm. he had some different thoughts and it, it opened my mind a little bit um, but my general thinking regarding car buying versus leasing, of course, maybe it's a little different right now because there's this whole, you know, issue of cars are so expensive and mm-hmm. the supply, you know, that could the chip uh, yes. supply issues and all that That's stuff. Right. But like, let's talk about it in a normal world, right? Where, mm-hmm. where there's not these supply issues and inflated prices for cars. But generally speaking, my, my thinking for a while has been that um, if you drive if you hold your car for a long time like if you're okay driving the same car for 8 10 you know 12 years um then it's going to be less expensive to purchase so then purchasing uh versus leasing i would lean toward purchase if you're okay you know you could you, you don't like have that need for a new car every few years um, if you don't get too bored or you don't care that much about what you're driving, then I think purchasing is going to be more cost effective um, than than leasing. But there are certain people that just they just love cars. They they need that new smell. They they they're in you know it's just it's something that they value more and and they and they want something new every three or four or five years. Then for somebody like that, leasing is going to be a better option in my opinion. Um, it also might maybe comes back down to the interest rate environment. Like interest rates right now are so attractive, and purchasing is is relatively inexpensive from a borrowing money perspective. But those are my general thoughts. Like buying is less expensive generally, but you'd have to hold that car for probably what seven, eight, nine years or more in order for that to really become the more um, the the less expensive option. Um, do you have? A, let me, and I'll go a little bit further. So this conversation that I had with someone in the auto industry, um, and he's not a salesman. So I, 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 I didn't, I trusted him to give me an honest opinion because he's not a, an auto salesman. Not that they're not trustworthy, but just in this discussion, I, um, I, I trusted him to give me an honest answer. He was talking about his thinking was that leasing might be just a little bit more expensive, but not much more expensive than buying, even if you're holding a car for a long time. Um, and we didn't have any hard numbers, and Peter's shaking his head like, no, no, no. Um, so what's your opinion? You agree with my first statement that buying and holding a long time is, even, even if there's money you have to put in, you know, eight, 10 years down the road, like I just had to put in, my car's 10 years old now, and it's 
you know, you had, of course, you have to do the brakes and the tires. And I had to do like the some sort of a belt that was so expensive. And then the shocks went and like, I've probably put $3,000 into my car, which was probably only worth about $6,000. <laughs> it's worth more now, given what's going on in, in the in the world of selling cars. But um, what's your opinion? Um, well, first, first, I thought some of the initial things you said were right on target. Yeah. And that, and that is this. And then you lost respect for me when, when I <laughs> was talking about leasing. Well, only a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'll still work with you, though. Um, no, the, 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 main, the main thing is I think you hit one nail on the head, which is this. And this is how I would start my webinar, by the way, next week. It's not, it's not even, I don't even think, an either-or situation. Okay. I think the, the, the idea of leasing versus buying is almost like, I, and I give an example here, is it, is it better to have a cat or a dog? Okay. It, 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 there's no better about it. It's, it's, it's your preference. It's personal preference. And it's the preference yep. as to what it is you want is that yep. governs what you pick. So it's not like an either or. Mm -hmm. There's lots of pros and cons associated with leasing. And there's lots of pros and cons associated with buying. Yeah. To compare the two is almost like an apples and oranges. So let me, okay. let me try to give you some examples. You were right to say, I think, of the next one, which is coming down to your preferences that that how people make decisions is by them personally i believe knowing what it is they want yeah. and they can afford yeah so for so you're right i think if you go down the pathway of I want to have new cars all the time mm -hmm. that are always under warranty mm -hmm. and that has certain pluses to it of the new car smell like mm -hmm. you mentioned mm -hmm. and other things then then yes you can get into a pattern of every 3 years um, you can get rid of that car return it back to the the, the, the uh, dealer mm -hmm. get a new car so you're always getting the latest and greatest in 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 safety in, safety is a big in thing now doodads yeah, yeah, yeah. and all yeah. kinds of mechanical mm -hmm. technical things and mm -hmm. all that but you are paying a price for it yeah you're paying kind of a premium price yeah to get that done and then the other reality fact is at the end of three years you own nothing well it's you have no yeah. asset Right, so right, that's right. Stick that over here on this side over here for a second. Yeah. Now let's go down the buying path. And there's much more, but so I'll just go down the buying path for a second. Yeah. The buying path, you will pay a lot more in those three years because you're buying a thirty thousand dollar car, let's say, right. and you're paying out a lot over that same three year period compared to the leasing amount. Yeah, right? Right, right. From dollar to dollar you're paying more. However, yeah. In like you pointed out, in a few years, your lease part is done. You don't have a car in three years. You've got to either bite the bullet and buy one or release again. Yeah. If you release again, you're at the top of the leasing scale on year four and five and six. Yeah. And while your other car, the asset, is declining in value in terms of its um, depreciation, mm -hmm. and that's another whole factor in here, by the way, mm -hmm. but you have something that's paid off. Yeah. A totally different scenario of apples and oranges again. Yes, you don't have a newer car, but you could potentially have a paid-off car. Yeah. And so, again, the what do you prefer? If you prefer having the latest and greatest, then buying's not for you. If you prefer having an asset which you retain mm -hmm. and therefore its cost projections go down rapidly after you've paid it off, mm -hmm. do we all know the future? No. That's in the other uncertainty here. If you keep it for a long time, you know nobody knows how long it will live. Yeah. I can just give one quick story for myself and that is this, that I, I have 
luckily, my father-in-law was one who took care of his car, and I'm still driving a 2003 Toyota Corolla. Mm-hmm. Fully paid off, fully fine, has about 80,000 miles on it. Uh, 80,000 miles in yeah. tw- 18 it's, years? It's 18 years? years old. That's nothing for a Camry. Wow, but the ca- Camrys but, are but fantastic. that's like 5,000 miles a year? Ca- well, I'm, I'm yeah. adding to it now. It, yeah. Since he passed yeah. away... Uh, I'm adding to it now, but I'm saying the point I'm making is wow. that's one proposition. Yeah. It's something that I choose to do. And by the way, many people who are very well off financially choose to do this because if, if you can get the status part out of it, it, it then then it becomes more. Yeah. It goes back to what do you want? Do I want just a ride? Yeah. Is that why mm-hmm. I have a car? Or am I doing it because I want it all shiny and glowing and have people look at me? It goes back to your preference. Yeah. So it's not a simple yes or no or, like I say, cat or dog choice. Yeah, okay. There's pros and cons. It's interesting because you talked about... when you were talking about leasing, you were talking about you pay a premium for that, the ability to have a new car every three yes. years, et cetera. But it's just interesting, as you said that, because when you go into a car dealership and and you see the pricing, it's cheaper it, than a loan. It unless you have cheaper. a huge down payment, right? It's cheaper. It it looks. I should say it looks cheaper. Okay. Because the payment is lower than the payment that you okay. would have on a loan. But of course, we know that the reason is on a loan, you're paying it off in five or six years and Correct. a lease payment you have forever. I just wanted to point out that that's interesting because people don't see that. Well, They actually, see a cheaper payment. Well, actually, Alyssa, this is actually, and I'm, you know, you, you lead into another whole thing, which is this. One of the greatest areas where people get scammed and so this kind of leads into this topic, mm-hmm. is that a dealer tries to sell you a payment. Mm-hmm. And what they try to do is ignore all the other stuff that goes behind it, and they'll say such things to you, the customer, as, can't you afford 200 a month or 300 a month? Yeah. I can get you into this car <laughs> for 300 a month. Are you good? And most, most people say, fine, yeah, that's good to me. But what they haven't asked is all the other things behind it, the interest rates and all the other, if you were to annualize the interest or the cost of this, it would far exceed, if you're going to do now, apples to apples comparison later on, mm-hmm. the the costs are can be much, much higher. Mm-hmm. So let, let me just give you an example of one of the uncertainty of leasing. Leasing has, uh, let me just put it this way, there's an awful lot of mysterious stuff in the whole leasing process. Okay. I've studied this for weeks now and getting ready for my webinar. Look at you. And so I've prepared. read yeah. many, many articles, and I can just say to you and to the clients or the folks on the phone that there's a whole new world out there in leasing that you have to be well-informed okay. as to what you're getting into. Give so me one me, example. Le, well, let me give you one example of end of lease. Yeah. So it's it's a relatively simple process when you are in the lease. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You will pay $300 per month yeah. for this lease for three years. Yeah. Great. What you're essentially buying is the depreciation. Mm-hmm. You're paying for them for the fact that the car went from a yeah. value of 50000 mm-hmm. to 30000 when you return it. Mm-hmm. So you're paying us for that twenty that it depreciated during your time. Mm-hmm. That's the straightforward part of your payment. Mm-hmm. But when you return the vehicle... There's such things as, and I'm just going to list them and not tell you numbers now, disposition fee, oh, okay. um, uh, document fee, 
title ad valorem tax, which is property tax, bank fees, okay. prep fees, delivery fees. Oh, okay. And that a lot of them are at the dealer's discretion. Okay. And a personal example, again, I'll give from myself. We did lease a wagon, a, a station wagon, a Mazda station wagon, and right before we returned it to the lease to the lease place, mm -hmm. I specifically brought it to a, a, a good friend of mine who was a mechanic, had him go over the whole car, detail the whole thing, because the the when you have to bring oh. it back, it has to be brought back in, quote, showroom condition. Oh, okay. So, and they use this funny thing they called, funny enough, a credit card test. Not in terms of a credit card uh, cost, but a credit card size. They look back over your whole car, mm -hmm. and if there's any scratches, dings, or dents greater than the size of a credit card, mm. then that means that this is something worthy of them charging you to fix it, okay. right? Yeah. So even though I brought it to a dealer, I mean, I brought it to a mechanic and had the whole thing totally redone, mm -hmm. when I brought it back to the lease, they said I had $1,400 worth of damage still. <laughs> Now, I'm just telling you that's my one anecdotal experience, yeah. but I had no recourse to fight back. And so on top of my re giving the car back to them, I had to pay $1,400 Wow, that's so annoying. <clears throat> I was listening to, you were talking about, you know, uh, the car purchasing process and car salesmen and things. And mm -hmm. I was listening to a, I don't know if it was a podcast recently or something about um, one of the car companies, and I can't even remember which one, if it was Ford or Chevy or whatever. Mm -hmm. They were starting to transition to, or they were starting to think about transitioning to, um, you know, consumers just going to a car dealer and ordering the car versus showing up and buying something off the lot, which is mm -hmm. the, the standard right now. And, yeah. you know, of course, there's, you know, some of the people, uh, I don't know if it's the dealers or whoever saying, oh, it's going to take away from the experience of like going to purchase a car and people really like that. And I'm thinking, who likes going to buy a car? Does anybody like that experience? I, I it's awful. I yeah. think if it was like, you know, the whole negotiating and what is the real price and all that stuff is just so annoying to mm -hmm. me. I, if, the, if it was just the price is the price, like pretty much everything mm -hmm. else, except I guess real estate, um, then it maybe it would be a more enjoyable experience. But I'm thinking who likes that anyway, <laughs> right? And, right. I, uh, maybe there's people out there that like negotiating and, and, and stuff, but... Um, I, I think some we, people do like to do that type of thing, but yeah. I think the vast majority, and I think that's why more online car selling is, yeah, is popular. It's more because popular. in a sense, yeah. in a sense, it's much more straightforward. Yeah. Here's the price. Yeah. No this is what I want. Yeah. Uh, in, no yeah. hassle. You don't have to go in the back room with the yeah. manager and I do know, that whole <laughs> that whole game. I know. It's it's a game. <sighs> yeah. And you just simply look. This is the price. Bing. Let's go. I and know. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it goes back to preference. Some people do. Like yeah. I've had. Um, like my, my, my wife, actually, it turns out, is quite the negotiator yeah. on one of the cars that we bought nice. in the past. Yeah. She was a hard negotiator, yeah. and she kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> the next time I buy a car, I'm going to that place where you put your credit card, and the car comes swirling down, and I don't have to deal with people, right? I forgot what that's called, but those are yeah. a thing now, right? You can yeah, just like... Um, Carvana has. Carvana, yeah. and you just... Yeah. There's my car, and, and I'll put my credit card in, it, and it will swirl. It's like when we used to put a penny in a gumball machine, and the gumball would come that's down, but doing. now you can do it with cars. That's what I'm doing next time. Um, we could have, it, it's interesting as you were talking about this verse, car versing by uh, leasing versus buying and personal preference and apples versus oranges. We could have the same exact discussion regarding buying a home versus renting. Uh, 
A- absolutely. I, I was going to bring that up yeah. earlier, that yeah. those are another case of yeah. it's not an either or. Yeah. They, they are two different animals. Yeah. And people recognize that, yes, there's still houses you live in or things you live in. Yeah. But in terms of the whole way you get them and the, and the, the economics of it, the whole way that you pay or don't pay, mm-hmm. it's a totally different animal. Yeah. And it's really not an either or. It's preference. Yeah. And I've... Um the, the difference that I can see is that, like, car leasing, you know, it's, it's you could equate it to renting, right, a home versus buying a home, right? You are. Yeah. So I, the difference I see, though, is leasing a car is more, like, socially acceptable, right? Whereas I feel like r- r- some people think that it's not, I don't know, socially acceptable or it's not... There's there's something about renting a home, especially later in life, that some people have a hard time with versus owning. Right? They feel like, well, I should be owning a home. That's what everybody does. Right? That's that's what we do in America. Right? And and I, and but there are plenty of times where I um, have advised people or have agreed with them that renting is a, appropriate for you at this stage in life. You know, based on different things going on and 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 maybe a, a single person, for example, woman, I'm just going to be sexist, like not wanting to keep up a home or a property and, and that renting might be more, you know, less, less stress on them and stuff like that. And, and so I just, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish there weren't, I don't know, maybe the social pressures of owning real estate versus renting. I, I personally have started hating owning real estate. Something is always breaking and needing a thousand or 5,000 or $10,000 to be fixed. Right. So I, I, I guess I wish it was a little bit different socially. I don't know. What do you see? Are, do you agree with me or not agree with me? I, no, no, no. I totally agree with you. And I think I would even emphasize it a little bit more and back up. And maybe I'm talking to parents here and how they even raise their kids. It, it goes back to some of these shoulds, mm-hmm. shoulds that we pass on to them. Mm-hmm. You should go to college. Mm-hmm. You should buy a house. Mm-hmm. You should get this 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 mate that you that you go with and all these other conditions. Mm-hmm. The reality is I hope that we start to get away from some of these shoulds. Mm-hmm. Buying a house is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it is not the American dream. Mm-hmm. It is a a preference again yeah and and it's good for some folks and not good for everybody so to make people grow up and think oh by the way you're you're mm-hmm. somehow going to be less than perfect unless you and your mate buy a house mm-hmm. that's not really the reality the reality is it can be good mm-hmm. and it could be negative and you're exactly right that um, according to this situation if you are a person as an example mm-hmm. and at male or female uh, who is not handy and you have a house mm-hmm. you have an asset that needs care and feeding yeah. constantly <laughs> I always think of having a house as like having a baby yeah because it's something that demands time effort energy uh, it's like the analogy when you do have a baby uh, you know and I remember this my, my kids are much much older now but I still fondly remember going out at 10 at night 11 at night to go find Enfamil or in in the pink package or something my wife would tell me uh, right because I have to go find it or find these certain type of diapers not those brand not that brand but this brand at 11 o'clock in some 711 somewhere and it's not like that's negotiable I don't really get to say to my wife, you know, 
I don't think the kid needs any diapers. I think he will do fine without them. No, it's a non-negotiable thing, and you have to take care of it. Mm. So I feel that's kind of what a house demands. And there are, I would just point out that there are ways to achieve financial security without owning a home. Yes. And some people think, well, I need equity in my home later on for financial security. But guess what? Nobody wants to spend the equity in their home later on. So is that really helping your financial security? And you could have been saving that money all that time. (laughs) So there are other alternatives. All right. We, the music means we have to take a break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're talking about a whole variety of things today, managing your finances through life's situations. I'm joined by Peter Mullen of American Consumer Credit Counseling. Uh, we're just taking a quick break. Don't, don't turn that dial. We'll be right back.